Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or holiday piece of cinema. I mean, I guess it's a holiday. It's, it, technically, it is a holiday. Uh, you don't get like the day off or anything. No. But... It's not a holiday in the sense of the word like holiday. Sure. It is a holiday in the sense that today is also a holiday. 420? There you go, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> About equivalent in level of holidays. I mean, I think that people, not myself, uh-huh. uh, because I live in North Carolina, but generally speaking, do a lot more celebrating on 420 than Groundhog's Day. Unless you're in Punxsutawney. That's true. These people those were people, partying up. Those people uh, definitely looked like, I mean, like if, if they, if you told me that they all had a bunch of gummies that they were just yeah. like secretly downing, I'd have believed it. Sure. Yes. Very much so. Definitely some of the younger ones for sure. The kids. Just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like the seemingly unwarranted, just pure rapture at the thought of a rat being pulled out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Inexplicable. That's, that's correct. Yeah. So in case you haven't figured it out from either reading the title <laughs> or, uh, you know, this conversation, we're doing Groundhog Day today as our movie. Uh, it feels like we just did this. Oh, hush. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we didn't just do this. We we did have a repeat, though, uh, from last week insofar as like we were planning to do this and then we didn't. That's right. We watched the movie last week and uh, just didn't have time to do any of the recording or editing because... Uh, of, of chaos in our life. So we just pushed it to this week. And yeah, you would think that would make things a little bit easier, but I was still scrambling to the last minute to do all the research that I could. So. Sure. Well, you know, and what's interesting too is that last week we pushed things off because of childcare issues, which you mentioned in the little yeah. you know clip um, telling people that we weren't doing a show last week. And, and this week we are focusing on the world happiness that's right. Report and and uh, the the people who topped that report and the the Finns. Yeah, and we're gonna feel even worse, <laughs> I think, because um, they don't have children. No, I'm sorry, that's not it. <laughs> because they they have figured out a lot of things that are pretty terrible about um, our childcare sure. system here in America uh, and generally just the way that we do things. So, um, so it's in keeping with with last week in that way as well. Great. Cool. Hooray. Hooray. We are the opposite of schadenfreude, Freud, Freudenschad, <laughs> uh, where you feel terrible because of other people's happiness. Right. Yes. There you go. Perfect. Yes. That's uh, that's what's happening this week. Well, like, with that <laughs> lovely intro, uh, I guess let's go ahead and get into it. For the sixth year in a row, Finland has been ranked the happiest country on earth, according to the annual World Happiness Report released by the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network. Yeah, what up, Finland? Uh, good uh, good place to go. I, I went to Finland, oh. visited there when I was 16. Okay. Um, ooh, 17? Yeah, 17. Did you go to their schools? Uh, and, uh, it actually walked by one, but like, it didn't go in. You didn't no. go and like see all the happy children and they're learning very efficiently. No. So actually most of the time I was there, I spent in Sweden, but I visited Finland and it was on a friend that I was visiting's, uh, family, like farm. Like, so we went like cross country skiing. There mm. weren't like a bunch of places nearby to just go talk to some youngins. Also, I wasn't running a podcast back then. So I didn't find a lot of interest in interviewing other children. Uh, about just calling them youngins. Yeah. And so, uh, but no, it's, uh, I went, uh, after Christmas before new year's and, uh, fun fact it's cold. Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. I am currently, I mean, I guess I started it for the podcast, but I'm definitely not going to, I did not finish it before recording the podcast. I'm in the middle of reading a book about, um, called the smartest kids in the world. And part of it is about an exchange student who goes from Minnesota to Finland as an exchange student. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, I guess she's going from one cold place to another. But yeah, yeah, that's not so bad. The, her host mother was like, uh, bring the warmest clothes you have. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, that is correct. I had to buy brand new clothes uh, to go, just to go, and bought a jacket that was maybe the ugliest piece of clothing that I've ever purchased in my life, but it's warm. So. I mean, <laughs> you don't think that your Charlotte Hornet starter jacket would have been sufficient? No. Definitely not. <laughs> that was like I the would heavy... have started to freeze to death. The the kids who had the the starter jackets when I was in middle school that was the heaviest jacket I yeah. had ever seen. Yeah, being from Florida, Florida yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, that's a that is a serious winter coat. No, like right I there. had gone like <laughs> skiing and stuff, but it's like skiing in North Carolina. It's like up oh, thirty one degrees. It's like not right. How know. cold does it get there? It was negative forty. Oh, okay. Well, then, yeah, that's. That's Negative cold. 40 is it the temperature at which it, you don't have to say Celsius or Fahrenheit because it's the same. It's where they intersect. I mean, I guess if it's negative 40 degrees outside, then if you are not literally frozen to death where you stand mm-hmm. in the middle of the street, mm-hmm. you're pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's all about perspective, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, and actually, so there is a phrase uh, or word that the Finnish use to sum up their, their way of life. This word is Sisu. Have you heard of this word? Uh, there's a movie that just came out called Sisu and it's a, like a big action movie. So I don't think it's related. Is it in Finland? I don't think so. Okay. So then, uh, well, so this is, Sisu is basically a trait that is part of their national character. And mm. the word roughly translates to, quote, grim determination in the face of hardship, such as long winters. Oh, you know what? Uh, I believe Sisu is in Finland. It's an ex-soldier who discovers gold in the Lapland wilderness. And Lapland <laughs> is in Finland, so yeah. Well, so wow, he this must, movie looks brutal. Okay, he, I'm gonna have to watch that. He now. must have grim determination in the face of whatever hardships are happening in Lapland. Totes, yeah. Right. Love so it. now you know more about the name of this film. Yeah, right on. I think we also might have seen that in the uh, what's his face's show um, that we watched on Apple TV. It was like the un wanting traveler or whatever it was called it's the guy with the big uh, eyebrows um, oh my gosh but guy with the big uh oh, oh. eugene levy eugene levy yeah. yes where he travels to finland right yes yeah, yes yeah. and they do talk about that there also sisu i'm pretty sure is the name of the dragon in the disney movie uh what's the one where there it's Pete's ba- dragon no where oh. it's basically like vietnam and the uh Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, oh, okay. Sure, right? sure. The name of Aquafina's right. dragon is Sisu. I think you're right. Yeah. Spelled differently. Yes. Yeah. Not S-I-S-U. Right. Uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, uh, well, we just want to get it out of the way. Love Finland. Love the Finnish people. Shout out Sebastian Aho, my boy, Tru- on the hurricane. Truly, as I was, as I was researching this, I was, I was thinking to myself, should we, should we move to Finland? Will they accept <laughs> us? Will they take us? Because um, this I mean, place, other than being ungodly cold, yeah, yeah, yeah. feels like they've got a lot of things figured out. Yeah. I mean, I would love the saunas. That would be great. The what now? It's uh, the saunas. Oh, the saunas. Sorry. That In Finland, they pronounce it sauna. Oh. So, trying to rock my one piece of knowledge of the language. <laughs> it's an incredibly difficult to learn language from uh, my brief attempt 
Well, um, I'm going to be spitting out some some Finnish words cool. today very poorly. Yes, <laughs> great. Uh, but before we do that, let's uh, let's just try to break into like why we covered it with this movie, I think. Yeah. Uh, so in talking about Groundhog Day, you know, it's a movie about a character who gets trapped in sort of a time loop where he just relives the same day over and over again. Happens to be Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney, uh, Pennsylvania, where they are doing the Groundhog Day celebration. He is a weatherman uh, who was sent there to cover the celebration. But he's also, I mean, as played by Bill Murray, is kind of a curmudgeonly um, eccentric. He's a guy who thinks he's better than his station. He's a weatherman at this news place so that he can like go on to become something else, right? This is his first step into like being a, a host of a game show or something. Yeah, better than his station is absolutely correct because I think that, you know, he loves to think of himself as this celebrity and, you know, people yeah. are like, oh my gosh, it's Phil Connors. And yeah. he's like, thanks for watching. You're right. That's his canned response to this minor celebrity recognition that That's he right. gets from randos on the street. Yeah. And he lets it go so completely to his head. Right. Um, well, so he is uh, basing his performance off of a couple of people who went from being local weathermen to being very successful uh, game show hosts and late night hosts, David Letterman and Pat Sajak. So both of them started as weathermen and sort of moved up the huh. hosting things ladder to be, uh, you know, some of the more recognizable famous people uh, in the 90s. David Weatherman? David Letterman. Weatherman. <laughs> Leather Weatherman. Uh, but yeah, so he, uh, this, this film... I mentioned has Bill Murray. Um, he his producer uh, Rita is played by Andy McDowell. Uh, this is and weird for me to say because I love this movie and have seen it a million times. The first time I noticed her accent being so strong, Southern accent. What this time? Yeah. Are you kidding? No. Okay. I for some, <laughs> I, I always knew that she had like a thing going on with her voice. Yeah. But it was this was the first time I was like, oh. Oh, she's from like South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> and like placing it exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Right. I mean, I guess it's on purpose, right? Um, she but- actually asked uh, the director, um, Harold Ramis, she was like, can I just do my normal heavy Southern accent? He's like, yeah, sure. Do it. And so she's just this like wide eyed, you know, from the South. I mean, mm-hmm. almost bumpkin, I'm sure, in Phil's eyes. That's right. Yep. And uh, like Pollyanna type character. Yeah. And they they play into that early on when they're in the weather room and Phil's just on his weather report uh, saying, hey, everybody, the snow is just going to pass us right by. It's going to catch this warm system and just move a little bit out here. Uh, and uh, and then like he gets off and is about to leave and go to, to the trip to Punxsutawney. And uh, Rita is like playing on the blue screen where they do all the weather stuff. But she's wearing a blue shirt. So it looks like her head is floating. And so, so it's like shows her as being like somewhat naive, somewhat like, you know, green around the gills at this job and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely, I think the accent plays into that as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, as I mentioned, uh, Phil says the snow is going to pass them by. So they go into Puxatawney. He's got a nice little bed and breakfast. He stays at that night, gets up to go do the weather report. Uh, and he says, all right, let's get out of Dodge. Let's see if we can uh, escape. And Sure enough, he was very wrong about that blizzard. Uh, it lands right in the middle of the highway that they're trying to get down, and they are stuck in Punxsutawney. Um, but- I do like to think of this film, though, as being written by somebody who actually hates weathermen or weather people. <laughs> sure. Uh, weather forecasters, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, because his entire hellish scenario is 
is almost like payback or like could have been avoided if you hadn't been so wrong about his job, like the entire thing that he does. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows if he would have just gotten stuck in a time loop somewhere else then. Right. But but then he would have been somewhere else. That's true. Yes. I mean, the, the, the brutal irony is that this is a place that he hates going to right. um, because he thinks he's so much better than it. But yeah, the, the original, the writer of the original screenplay was this guy, Danny Rubin. Um, he wrote the screenplay on spec, which is to say he was not paid to write this. He just came up with the idea, wrote it down, and then sold it mm-hmm. to a uh, studio. And they attached Harold Ramis to it. And he, Harold Ramis, of course, rewrote the script. He is a uh, very famous writer. He wrote uh, Ghostbusters, Stripes, Caddyshack, all the... Um, analyze this and like that movies. Mm-hmm. He wrote National Lampoon's Vacation. Very famed comedic writer, actor, director. So um, Harold Ramis directed this movie. And uh, but anyway, getting back to the point, the the report that he issued on the weather was wrong and led to his unhappiness. But you want to talk about a report on happiness? Yes, that's right. What a segue. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, so so we're talking about happiness because the UN releases this report every year. And it is something that has, I guess, been published uh, every year for the past 10 years. And it has been about 10 years since the United Nations General Assembly adopted Resolution 66-281, which proclaimed March 20th mm-hmm. to be international, the International Day of Happiness. See, they missed it. It should have been April 20th. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the question then is like, why is the UN concerned with happiness? Yeah. Right. Do you have any guesses? I mean, I think it's probably a correlate for things like health and, or it's like a, a nice measurement of a population's other important factors. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's basically right, right? It's just, it's, it's how do you measure the success of a country yeah. outside of pure GDP, numbers yeah. like GDP, right? Which GDP doesn't really tell you anything and especially not about the, the way that the people within that country feel about anything. Sure. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, GDP is is a purely economic metric, right? And and a, a terrible way of determining whether or not a country is doing a good job. Yeah. Um, and by good job, we mean I mean the the assumption is right. If you are a democracy, if you're a, a democracy of any kind, then you are beholden to the people, mm-hmm. right? So you are doing a good job for the people of your country. Right. So GDP is a terrible way to measure that. Yes. So then so then what do you measure instead? And the UN has decided happiness sure. is going to be one of those metrics. Um, they say on their website where they released this report that there is a growing consensus around how happiness should be measured. We'll talk more about that later on. But yeah, I have some I have some real criticisms of their methodology. Like starting off the question with if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Like that's just not even. <laughs> you can't a, hear people clapping all it's around. It's not an the effective world. measurement tool. <laughs> I mean, because wait, how many times do they clap versus decibels? What about people who don't have hands? They, hmm? can they stomp, could be happy. They can stomp their feet. Uh, well, now, look, you're going to have the paraplegics coming after you. It's not going to be pretty. I'm sorry. I'm going to go right around that joke. <laughs> going to step step right on over here. Um, so so basically, if we can come to a consensus then around uh, happiness, then, uh, and what that means, and we can agree that that is a better way to measure whether or not a country is doing a good job, then we can have more operational objectives for governments on how they can achieve that happiness for their people. Mm-hmm. So this is the idea behind this otherwise kind of fluffy sounding report that the UN is in charge of. Yeah. Would you like to hear about the methodology of of the study? 
Yeah, sure. So they use data that uh, is from interviews of more than 350,000 people in 95 countries. um, And they conducted the polling through the the company Gallup. Mm -hmm. And the rankings themselves are not based on things like income or life expectancy. They do reflect in a lot of ways places that have higher incomes or that do have longer life expectancy. Um, But it's actually just a self-ranking system. That's all that they did is they interviewed people. They asked them to rate their own happiness on a 10 point scale. Mm -hmm. So this scale then is basically valuing their lives um, from zero to to 10 with the worst possible life being a zero and the best possible (laughs) life being 10. I am dead and filling out this survey. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like technically I'm alive, but I'm Theon Greyjoy. Right. (laughs) I'm stuck in some dungeon. Yeah. Right. There are dogs biting me. It's not a fun time. Right, right, exactly. Um, and so so this is the way that they are essentially trying to get at this question of how do people feel? Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, that makes sense. Um, you know who would have an opportunity to answer that question over and over again to no avail? <laughs> Phil Connors. <laughs> sure. Because he wakes up one morning after the report and gets snowed in and he has to go back to the bed and breakfast. He wakes up hearing, uh, I got you babe by Sonny and Cher. Mm -hmm. And it's the same morning all over again, starting back at the beginning of groundhog day. He's like, uh, Oh, nice job boys. You're playing an old tape. And he looks out the window and he sees all the pedestrians going to the thing. And he's very confused. I, I do love this, and I almost wish that I could go back and time. I watched this movie in theaters. Mm, nice. When it first released. That's cool. I uh, was released so, in 1993, by the way. I was going to say, I was slightly too young to appreciate anything that was happening. Sure. I went with my my best friend at the time. Her mom took us, and I think that we thought we were maybe going to go see, like, Poetic Justice. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And it wasn't available. Um, so instead of Janet Jackson and Tupac, we got to see uh, Bill Murray, and I didn't know anything about about him and sure. I was like this movie is gonna suck and I was I remember actively <laughs> hating the thought of going to see this film because I had never heard of it sure, and yeah. it was just a bunch of grown-ups doing grown-up stuff and right. then ending up actually loving it yeah because you love sci-fi and this is this is more fantasy but it's like still like the the philosophy behind it is quite interesting right well I don't know that I was like a huge sci-fi person at 10 okay um, I don't know that that really, I mean, like I got super into comics when I was like 11 and okay. 12. So, so just after this, yeah. maybe this, this was, was the, it. this, this was, was the beginning. Where can I hear some other speculative fiction? That would be great. Yeah. 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 That's right. So, uh, so yeah, I loved it. Um, and I wish that I could like talk to people the first time that they watched this and seeing this for the first time. There's no way people would have known that an entire genre of film yeah. would be born out of this single setup yeah of the world just repeating yeah so this was actually not the birth of that idea although it has been used in several other films so uh the concept was later on used in films including uh mickey's once upon a christmas uh the television show daybreak the uh an episode of i believe supernatural mystery spot uh the comedy 51st dates uh kind of how her brain resets the time. 50, oh, 50 date. Uh, 50 first dates. Adam Sandler. Oh, sorry. And uh, Drew Barrymore. Uh, and then obviously Edge of Tomorrow with uh, Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's an Egyptian comedy called Congratulations. Most recently in 2020, there was Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a movie called Happy Death Day, I believe, where it's like 
the person keeps dying and then waking back up and going through the day again and, ha- and having to die all over again or something like that. Right. It's a horror movie. Uh, but anyway. And like, then so, also the Natasha Leone show. Uh, yeah. Um, Russian Doll. Russian exactly. Doll. Yep. One of the more, I think, really well done versions. That was a really this. good one. Uh, only the first season. They switched up for second season. Yes. But yeah. Um, but, but so those are the ones that came after. And so you say this like kind of created that idea but uh, after the release of this movie, several writers came out and said that the story was stolen from their idea. So science fiction author Richard Lupoff claimed that it was a ripoff of his short story, uh, 12.01 p.m., while Ken Grimwood, author of Replay, was another. Mm-hmm. But the jumping off point for his inspiration for this film was something called Christmas Every Day, uh, which was a story from 1892 by William Dean Howells. So there have been iterations of this for a long time, almost over and over again, it would seem. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this is probably the one in our pop culture that is the most clearly, uh, you know, foundational. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it seems like this is the one that sort of sparked everything, yeah. but I, it's not surprising that the idea of it had been yeah. around before. Yeah. It's also funny that you say like that you actively hated it like going in to see it mm-hmm. uh because like there were people who like read the script who like just didn't get it so uh initially michael keaton was going to be playing phil connors and he turned the role down because he just like didn't understand what was going on in the movie <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that was funny a couple other people who were uh considered for the bill murray role tom hanks chevy chase steve martin robin williams and john travolta now, all of those were dismissed by Harold Ramis because he said they were, quote, too nice. Uh, but I don't know how true that is. Like, nobody's ever called Chevy Chase too nice. Uh, so. Yeah, Chevy Chase being lumped in as being too nice seems like a way to just sort of not have to work with Chevy Chase. Yeah, that's right. Oh, uh, you're too great of an actor. Oh, you know what it is? You're too nice, Chevy. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, as he starts to realize that he's going through the same day over and over again, Uh, We see him live out what would be the second day, right, completely, Mm -hmm. um, and go through the same routines and motions. Then he falls asleep and wakes up again, and he starts to panic, and we see fewer and fewer elements of the day. We start to see him uh, experience, like, surprise and fear and all of those kinds of things. Um, And we very quickly, because this is a comedy, get to the fun part, where he's at a bowling alley with these guys. He's sort of in despair of his situation, um, and they're like, like, you know what I'd do if I, if everything I did didn't make a difference the next day, he's like, what? It's like, whatever I want. So he gets drunk and drives and orders like whatever fast food he wants. He wakes up the next day, orders everything off the menu and the diner and eats it all. Um, he figures out that he can learn about people in the town. Uh, and then they don't remember talking to him when he wakes up the next morning, but he remembers everything about them. So he uses that to sleep with, a. uh, uh, to Na- some Nancy, somebody random lady, random yeah. lady. Yeah. And then he, uh, what else does he do? Uh, there was another one. Is he stealing money at this point? Yes. So yeah, he just walks up to like a armored car and just takes two bags of money out and walks away with it. Now, what he's going to do with those in the next 24 hours or whatever. What are you going to do with those in Puxatawney? Right. But buy hey, the <laughs> nicest house in Puxatawney for, for cash and a couple in, hours. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but you know, it's, it's fun, I guess, to, just live out a fantasy like that. He then later on starts to to fall into severe states of depression um, and try to kill himself to escape this cycle. That doesn't work. He just wakes back up in the same bed. Uh, the, the way that he starts this, though, is he blames it on, on the groundhog. 
And so he's, he kidnaps the groundhog right. and lets it drive a truck just away from town. A uh, pu- puppet animatronic? Real. real <laughs> uh, that is a real groundhog. And In his lap? W- yes. Would you like to know how we can verify that? How? Because it bit Bill Murray <laughs> so badly that he had to go to the hospital and get rabies shots. <laughs> They didn't know whether the groundhog had rabies. I don't know because they actually raised an entire family of groundhogs to um, to act in this movie, <laughs> and so you would assume that they would have kept it under control. I mean, um, maybe just the policy is like if you get bit by a groundhog, it doesn't matter if it's quote unquote domesticated. You'd get a rabies shot because you're Bill Murray. Yeah, that might be true, but he got bit twice, so maybe they were just like, look, <laughs> if it were once, I feel like of course he got bit twice. He was filming Groundhog Day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, but it was right after, um, in the, the scene where he's driving with the groundhog, he says, Hey, don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. Cause he, he was, he ad libbed that because he saw the groundhog was getting agitated and then right after it, it bit him. So, um, but anyway, yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. Also in this point, um, we're seeing a lot of the same elements repeat, right? So he has to go out to do the groundhog stuff. Um, the reporting, you know, in front yep. of the, the stump. Yep. We um, meet up with Mr. Ryerson. Needle nose Ned, Ned the head. Ned Ryerson. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Played by Stephen Tobolowski. Uh, he also actually has a podcast, uh, where he just talks about like his random things that he's done in Hollywood. It's, it's quite good. <laughs> okay. I recommend that. You asked me the question, mm-hmm. uh, how do they film this? Right. Cause yeah. they're, they're not filming like each day in a row. Right. Right. Um, and so you're you're 100 percent correct. Right. So because, well, so, and, yeah. and backing up a little bit, because re- this is the reason for my question. Right. Yeah. My assumption is that not my assumption, but my knowledge of like how films are produced in the way that you um, that the way that you do a, a normal film, a typical film. Right. Is yeah. that you don't necessarily do everything all at one time. Definitely or, not. not. Sorry, not. In, you don't do everything in chronological order. Correct. In fact, you just never do that. Right. You do all of the places in a single spot. Yeah. There. And then you new location, you move to a new location, but it could be completely out of order based off of like how the s- script is. Right? That's right. Yep. Everything that happens in a house just gets shot all at one time. Typically, um, yeah. Even if you go back and forth to other places and then come back to the house at the end of the movie or yeah. whatever. Scheduling a film is one of the more difficult aspects of filmmaking because not only are you taking into account, okay, we have this location set for this amount of time, but, oh, maybe we can't get an actor there on this day because they're doing another show somewhere. So... Uh, we have to figure out when we can get the actors in the same locations at the same time. Right. So it's 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 incredibly complicated, and it's almost never in order. Um, there are a few films that will shoot in order, but they're mostly like adaptations of a play, where it's really just you know uh, pretty pretty straightforward. So. Right. So so my thought of, as I was watching this then, and it only occurred to me this time when I was watching it was, oh my gosh, they're going to show Phil at this you know, uh, yeah. at this uh, groundhog uncovering, yeah. uh, and him getting progressively more crazy and manic and then recovering it. But like, he, like, did they do that all in the, like the, the order that it is in the script at least where they just do it over and over again, yeah. um, and have him redo it. And he has to like set his mind in a different mindset. So that was, that was my, my, my wondering about how this went. Well, good question. Uh, so what they did was they did shoot everything that was like outdoors mm-hmm. all at the same time. So every time you see Phil out by the groundhog stuff, they just shot that in a row, right? First mm-hmm. of all, because they're all wearing the same clothes. Right. You don't have to like keep track of costuming and stuff like that. Right. You don't have to bring in extras multiple different times throughout a shoot. Um, you just want to go ahead and shoot out all those scenes. And so you're right. 
there was the first one. He was like, hey, this is my first time doing this news report. Mm -hmm. And then there's like, this is my 40,000th time doing this news report. And I'm like dejected and whatever. I have to be out here in the freezing cold and recite poetry or whatever it is. Right. Right. Um, So all of those did occur on like the same few shooting days. Mm -hmm. Now, primarily that was because weather changes and sometimes you have snow on the ground and sometimes you don't. And so if you wait, it's not going to look the same. You're not going to match continuity. So they just shot it all at once. Right. Um, for Bill Murray and how he was able to do that as an actor, um, it, it's funny. The reporting it says Harold Ramis would like describe to him, okay, here's where we are in the script, where mm-hmm. you are in the universe, um, what you know, what's going on, um, your emotionality. And at a certain point, Bill Murray just said, just tell me. Am I good, Phil, or am I bad, Phil? (laughs) And that was it. And then from there, he just kind of would wing it. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, that, that sounds exactly right. Um, Was he doing a lot of ad lib? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, and I didn't write them all down because like some of them are pretty uh, easy to figure out, but there's the part where like um, Stephen Tobolowsky's character, Ned Ryerson comes up um, and he's always like, Phil, Phil Connors. You don't remember me, but I sure as heck I remember you. And, uh, and like, there's a part where he goes up to me, gives him a big hug and he's like, Hey, I don't know where you're going, but, uh, can you be late? That was, <laughs> that was ad-libbed. Like, that seems a hundred percent ad-libbed. Yeah. And, yeah. and he didn't tell, uh, Mr. Tobolowski what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And so his reaction was also spur of the moment and his just like shocked face and just like slowly walking away. I feel like if you're going to be in a film with Bill Murray, you have to be on point. Gotta you be on have your toes, to be. Yeah. You have to be ready at a moment's notice for him to, uh, for him to just like throw you a curveball, yeah. and you have to stay in character and be appropriate, have the appropriate reaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and so yeah, I mean Murray's history or like background in comedy was SNL. Yeah. Um, Harold Ramis was uh, SCTV, which is Canadian Canada's version of the same thing, um, and so they are definitely like constantly like, Hey, let's pitch ideas. Let's mm-hmm. figure out what's a new thing we can do. So yeah, you got to be on your, on your A game. Yeah. Is this our second Bill Murray? We did lost in translation. Lost translation. I, think um, right. yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, the, all, all of the stuff that Bill Murray is doing at this part is like, it's basically wish fulfillment, right? It's like, if you were a kid and someone told you like, you had no consequences in the world anymore, what would you do? And he's like doing robbing the bank and eating all the food, trying to find like this really short term thrill this like maybe immediate sense of happiness right the thing that like a child yes might think of as happiness or a teenager right you're pure you're acting out of pure id yeah right and that doesn't seem very finished to me (laughs) so if they're not robbing armored vehicles and eating food uh off of the diner plates with their bare hands right what exactly are they doing to be happy let's talk about uh finnish happiness yeah (laughs) so i I think one of the first ones that it seems probably probably if you've been to Finland, maybe uh, pretty obvious is they just have this abundance of nature. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very much so. And so they live very sustainable lives. Nearly 75% of Finland is covered by forest land. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little bit more when I was there. <laughs> Cause my name's forest, everybody. Hey. <laughs> um, and the, the thing that's interesting about it though, is that, that in Finland, all land is open to everyone. Oh, interesting. And so they have this law that's known at, uh, here's my first time pronouncing something in Finnish, okay. uh, as a Okay. which basically translates to every man's right. Okay. 
And it entitles people to roam freely throughout nature in natural areas. So you just like people can't just own land (laughs) and then kick you off of it. The literal opposite of Texas's like stand your ground law. (laughs) It's like uh, wander your land law. (laughs) Yeah. I can just walk wherever I want to walk because it's nature. Yeah. And you can't just own nature. I dig it. I like that very much. Right. So so that's that's one thing that is credited to their happiness. Another is just their mindset and their culture. So one thing is this idea of just like knowing what is enough, right? So they get satisfaction from these sustainable lives, but basically they are just happy with what they have. Mm-hmm. And um they have these expectations. Um their their expectations are very tempered. Right. They are content with basically the things that they have going in their life. They're not like constantly um, trying to go out and get more. So another saying, um, a, a saying by the Finnish people is se joka kusin kurkota se katajan kapsata. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which basically translates as if you reach for the spruce, you will fall onto the juniper. Okay. So don't aim too high because the higher you go, the harder you fall. Okay. Right on. I appreciate that. Which reminds me of my favorite 90s song. <laughs> Don't go chasing waterfalls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of the opposite of Casey Kasem where he was always like, always shoot for the moon. So if you miss, you land amongst the stars. Yeah. It's like, no, finish, you burn up in the sun, Casey Kasem. <laughs> the finish would say that would hurt yes. a lot. Don't do don't do that. What are you doing? Just yeah. be happy with what you have. Yeah. Um, now, another thing that that is a cultural mindset of theirs is this idea of not showing off your happiness. Okay. So basically one of the reasons that a lot of people are so upset or discontented with their lives is because of comparisons to other people. That's why uh, social yeah, yeah, totally. That's why social media is so you know um hurtful hurtful yeah. and harmful to people's well-being is because you're constantly looking into these perfect versions of other yeah. people's lives and comparing what you have to these unrealistic expectations. And so the idea is not that they don't compare themselves to other people, but people in Finland don't brag about the thing that they have. Right. So if you're not bragging, then you're not providing this pedestal of a this lifestyle yeah, yeah, yeah. for other people to compare themselves to. Yeah. I'm it, really good at not bragging. I'm like one of the best people in the world at not <laughs> bragging about you know my personal qualities or what I have that's great. Here are two more phrases for you. I'm going to just... <laughs> Keep, keep on, on keep it keep on. on going. Here are two more <laughs> phrases for Kelloni Anse Onen Kakatun, which is whoever is happiest should hide it. I <laughs> love it. And, <laughs> keep uh, that shit to yourself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe don't post it. And then uh, Atatala are silver, at Tiga are gold. To speak is silver, to be silent is gold. Man. <laughs> now I now I know why you you said before we started it's like should we move to Finland? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I feel like this is this is my land, yeah. right? People just keep it to yourself. Oh, hush. <laughs> just stop stop talking. It's fine. Um and and so additionally finding happiness in small things um is something that they are very good at doing and then um you know, I think the biggest thing though is uh, probably their social safety net and all the social 
programs that they have happening mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, they have universal health care. They have affordable child care. They have financial means for basic needs to, needs to be met by pretty much every person there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, in addition to just basic needs, yeah. they have public funding for education and for the arts. So they're like one of the articles that you sent me just was like interviews with a bunch of Finnish people. Yeah. And one of the first people on the list was this this woman, uh, Mrs. Kiski, and uh, she's just an artist who is paid by the government to produce art. Huh. That's her entire job. And so because she doesn't work for money as an artist, she can be creative, she can be experimental. Sure. Um, and she can just sort of follow the thing that makes her happy. I, I love that idea. Be sponsored by the government. Now, the problem is if it were in America, if she did anything remotely strange or weird or unapproved for you'd have Her funding would be pulled because some, some segment yeah. on Fox News, you know, yeah. talking about it or whatever. Our tax dollars are going to somebody who painted with a color that I didn't like. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then the final thing is just, I mean, I don't even know who that impersonation was of, by the way. The, their education system is also just, I mean, I have so much on the education system that maybe yeah. this is a, an entire other podcast. Yeah. We should probably do like what well, we did stand and deliver. So maybe that's <laughs> go back and listen to that episode, I guess, if you want to hear about it. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe it's an entire other podcast, but like their education system is literally like the top in the world in terms of scoring for things like the PISA test. So that's. The, the entire book that I'm reading is right. about the PISA test, which is the program for international students assessment. Um, and it's one of the world yeah. indicators of intel, not intelligence, but like how well kids are educated. Yeah. And it's not necessarily things like math and reading, though that's on the test. It's really our kids being taught to think. Right. And so it's it's more um, things like life skills, like they'll give them two insurance policies and have them read the fine print and decide which one is the better policy. Oh, wow. That's so cool. like, that's a kind of question on this test. So nice. it's, it, it is asking you for comprehension, right? Right. But it's asking you for applied comprehension right. in real world scenarios. Right. So you probably never looked at this before in your life. Cause why would you, you're a kid, but right. figure out what's going to have the better long-term outcomes and why. Exactly. Yeah. Can you use critical thinking to make a good evaluation? Yeah. Um, can you provide reasoning or, you know, another example of a question on this test is um, come up with your own currency. Ooh. your own form of currency and uh, and explain it. Now, we've had a lot of people doing this for the last three or four years and it hasn't worked <laughs> out super well. So maybe chill just, on that shit. But. Yeah. Bitcoin actually just yes. started as somebody who took this test. Yeah, just some 18 year old Finnish kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to imagine that Italy is pissed off if they're not doing well in this. They got a whole tower dedicated to this test. <laughs> yeah, but it's leaning. It's I like mean, it's, falling it's, over. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> it's not set on a very strong foundation. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I mean, they, but they, they have been like the number one, um, the number one uh, on this score on this test as well, right. um, pretty consistently. And um, without the insanely long schooling hours that you might find in a country like South Korea, who also does very well on the PISA, but yeah. not quite as well. Um, but they have, I mean, things like free college. Um, they don't have any standardized testing. They don't have any accountability, official accountability scores for teachers. Instead, teachers are all just required to have a master's degree and hmm. paid well and treated like doctors. And so it's just, uh, it's it's... A lot of things that if I could create the perfect school system here in America um, are existing over in Finland in in the way that kids are raised from from a very early age. But I think what's also interesting is that this didn't start 
this is not something that is inherent in their culture necessarily. Mm -hmm. They made huge reforms on their education system starting back in the 80s because they wanted to revamp their entire system. So this is something that didn't just, you know, that, that hasn't been around forever. They've made these huge leaps in just a single generation, basically. Wow. That is really interesting. Well, speaking of generations, mm. uh, how long do you think that Phil was trapped in this same day? Because we've had a, a brief conversation about this and I got an answer for you. So <laughs> curious what you, what you think. Okay. Look, if you're going to take a guy who has never played the piano. Yeah, yeah. And have him being the way that he was. Like, I mean, I guess he does have a lot of time on his hands on those days that he is there. But at least 10 years. 10 years is the answer, according to Harold Ramis. It's oh, okay. about, about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> um, the original idea was for Phil to live for in, on that day for about 10,000 years. Oh, okay. And so he says, actually, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Let's dial it down. I mean, the human brain is not meant to be imprisoned, like, or alive that long. I feel right. like our, our, um, our dispositions would just. I mean, and so yeah. another point they make is we talked about like him robbing a bank, him, you know, committing suicide to try to escape the time loop, him, you know, uh, lustily preying on unsuspecting victims. Uh, but they did actively go out of their way to make sure that they uh, avoided the truly dark side of mm -hmm. like what would happen if you were there for let's say 10,000 years and felt yourself to be truly immortal and without consequences. Like right. there was no, he didn't murder anybody. He didn't torture anybody. He didn't like whatever. They kind of like made sure to just like steer clear of that. Right. Right. So. I mean, I would imagine there's also just got to be entire days where you just wake up and you just bundle yourself up and maybe grab a book and just go sit in the woods quietly <laughs> yeah. away from everybody and like read, yeah. right? There's gotta be days like that. I mean, I, was, I assume that he would just like have read every book in the library in Punxsutawney or whatever. Like, it's just, you know, you gotta do something with your time. Right, right. Um, but anyway, as as uh, he later decided, the thing that he would do with his time was to try and use all of these tricks that mm -hmm. he had learned to sleep with his producer, Rita. Now, I, this is where like sort of the love story in the movie begins like the the romance i guess mm -hmm. um but it's such a weird one it's such a weird like story because it starts out it's it's all about like him and his character's evolution because he starts out just trying to learn as much about her through trial and error uh to get to a point where by the end of the night she thinks he's a wonderful person who's completely compatible um and that that will cause her to sleep with him but really all he's doing is just reciting back like common facts. It's like, I like the same drink. I like the same poetry, whatever. Right. He's not absorbing any of this information. He's not really like, well, you know, what's interesting is he's treating her the same way that he does everybody else after right. a certain point, which is it, as I was watching the film, it, it feels like he's treating everybody in this film like they are the non-playable characters of a video game. I was going to say, this is a video game. It's exactly what this is. So there's a type of video game called a roguelike. That's the category. Okay. And what it is, is you start at the beginning level and you make your way as far as you can until you get killed. Mm -hmm. And then you have to start all the way back. Like, the, like Super Mario Brothers? I mean, kind of, but it's like different because you can still build up powers along the way. So like you can get stronger, you can get more stuff, get more equipment, whatever. Okay. And you'll be able to start with some of that at the beginning again. So, you know, you make it through 17 levels. You got a couple of different weapons that you've unlocked or, you know, powers that you've created or gained or earned or whatever. When you go back to the beginning, 
you know what's going to happen. You can go through those levels a lot easier. You've you know sort of leveled up uh, in your abilities. Right. Um, and so this is very much like that. Like he yeah. is treating his ability to sleep with Rita as the end of a series of trials in a roguelike video game. Right. She's not a person to him. That's right. She is an objective, an obstacle to be conquered or whatever. Right. She is, I mean, the way that a lot of uh, men treat women, I suppose, just in day to day life. Right. But it's, he, he goes through this truly like sociopathic view of everybody in this world as though they mean, they are just like, they mean nothing, right? Their lives mm-hmm. mean nothing because his life means nothing. The thing that I thought was interesting or the thought that I had as I was watching this again this time was, you know, now that we've had all of these conversations about like the multiverse. <laughs> right, yeah. His assumption is because my conscience, my consciousness ends at 6 a.m., the world ends at 6 day, at 6 a.m. Yeah. And as I was watching this, I was thinking, what if every one of these is spawning its a own universe. new universe and it doesn't end? Right. His uh, experience of it continues. Yeah. Right. But it continues to it continues to play out. And now he it's, has just set in motion this new thing. It's like string theory. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and maybe he's in it or maybe he has died. Yeah. Right. The fact that there's one there's one version where he dies. And I think it is maybe when he is in the truck or something yeah. like that. And then it shows Rita and um, Chris Elliott, the cameraman, yep, yep. Uh, looking at his body in the morgue is the one time that it really hints at the fact that's true yeah that there is continuation after his, there is continuation after he dies that's really a point i never thought of that that's really good catch by you uh-huh. that's very cool uh yeah and so so the idea of string theory is that from this moment like take up any moment in time there are an infinite number of possibilities that exist before you right mm-hmm. but as you progress sort of down uh down the timeline the strings collapse in on each other leaving only one observable you know, outcome. Right. And what you're saying is like, maybe all of those strings exist. And when he's stuck in this day, he's actually just bouncing along the different strings. Like he's like maybe choosing some of them because he's doing different things or whatever, but he's like seeing multiple options in universes that could have existed, whether they go on to continue or they collapse into nothing. We don't know, but like, there's a chance, like you're saying multiversally, Mm -hmm. there are universes where he actually did rob that uh, armored car and now has that money and is just piecing out or whatever. Right. He exactly. just doesn't get to experience it with his consciousness because that's e- not where he is. Yeah. Exactly. Or he, he it's not the version of Phil that he is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like he, he pieces out of that version and restarts again to start yeah. a new version, but those versions continue on with that version of Phil. Okay. Or, so now or we not. need to have Bill Murray be the new Kang, the conqueror because we can't have Jonathan majors anymore. Uh, yeah. So that's it. There you go. Solve that problem. I think Bill Murray actually is in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, but I don't, I haven't seen it yet. You haven't so. seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a hurry. Uh, but anyway, so that, I thought that was an interesting, uh, it's an interesting section to watch because it always ends in failure. Like there is no version of this that he was able to uh, manufacture that ends up with him and Rita sleeping together at the end of the night. Right. Well, and and again, because he's not treating her as a person, he doesn't consider how she feels about him. He doesn't consider how any other person interacts with him and feels about like the things that he's doing. They are just these like people or these things to be disposed of. And so she slaps, Rita slaps uh, Phil Connors 10 times in this movie. How many ways do the Finns slap this uh, report down? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So, uh, yeah, so we're, you know, 
I guess the next question is, uh, how do the Finnish feel about right. this ranking? Because this isn't the first time that they've been ranked Sixth as number in a row. one. Sixth in a row. And uh, according to them, that is a lot of pressure. Yeah. They pinned up Jordan numbers. It's a lot of pressure to be the number one happiest country in the entire world. And then especially when you read the New York Times article that you originally sent me, yeah. which was really just like a bunch of vignettes of people who live in Finland and right. their lives and how they think about things. And it, it's it's a bleak read. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, not bleak, but they're not ebullient in the way that sure. a lot of Americans are in the way that I am on all of this coffee right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they, they really don't consider themselves that happy. Huh. They are kind of a, a more subdued culture. I mean, if yes. you talk to them, they, they are kind of all shocked that they have been named the happiest people in the world because they don't just go around saying that they're the happiest. In fact, they're not only are they like, they don't consider themselves to be the happiest people in the world, but another interesting fact is that um, they are, according to the World Health Organization per capita, the number two among the Western countries for uh, prevalence of depressive disorders, of unipolar depressive disorders per capita. I mean, that's, probably because of the intense lack of sunlight for half the year. <laughs> right. So like paradoxically, right, they yeah. are both, they both have like the number two highest rate of depression yeah. in Western countries and also are the happiest. Would you like to know who the number one country for depressive disorders is? Uh, I would love to. Is it the United States? It's the United hey. States. <laughs> That's the obvious answer. We're number one. We're number one. Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, they, here's a, here's a quote from somebody who works in mental health there. They said, we don't perceive us as being especially happy and wouldn't have thought about it without this international research. I think that's also kind of funny is like the, the thing is like, you know, the thing that makes the Finns happiest is the fact that they don't compare themselves to other people. So here's a list comparing them to other people. It's like, right. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And and so they like they don't consider here's a, here's another quote or another yeah, here's another saying that they have in Finland. Pessimisti et coscan petit. The pessimist will never be disappointed. There you go. And you know, I, like every single person over and over and over again in that article was like, I don't think we're that happy. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm fine. Right. Um here's another quote. I wouldn't say I consider us very happy. I'm a little suspicious of that word, actually. (laughs) Um, Is there such a thing? (laughs) Right, right. So then, you know, so then it's just like, well, then why, why does this happen? So I think we actually need a scientific measurement of the quantity of dopamine released into the brain on a regular basis for a person. Then we can judge true happiness. Yes, yes. All right, well, let's keep on going and then we'll talk yes. about more about happiness. And well, so, so here's, yeah, here's what Phil thinks about happiness. He yeah. actually realizes that it's not going anywhere with Rita, but at that time he bumps into a homeless guy that has kind of been around, you know, obviously mm-hmm. uh, in the town. Um, and he's, he's an old guy. Phil sees him die in the alleyway, tries to take him to a hospital, but he passes away. Um, so the next day he says, all right, well, I'm going to find that guy. I'm taking him to f- get some food. We're getting like, you know, nice treatment and and all the warmth and the everything you need. And he dies anyway. Right. So he's trying his best to keep this guy alive and he just can't do it. And he realizes like um, some things are just not within my power to control at this point. And so 
what then he starts to do, and I think that was the real turning point for the character, because he starts to do sort of as many nice things around town as possible, um, including there's a kid who always falls out of a tree, catches right. him. There's uh, ladies who um, their tire goes flat. He like pops underneath their thing and like fixes the tire really quickly. Basically, he's decided like, if this is the life I'm going to live, mm-hmm. just in Punxsutawney forever, it makes me feel better. It makes me uh, more like happy to be doing that, that forever living to actually make other people's lives better, even if it's just for this day. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much that still goes to the video game, like mechanic a little bit. Cause mm-hmm. he's like, Oh, I got to catch that kid. Like can't drop him. Today. Like whatever. He's like, he's still accomplishing all these little tasks along the way, but rather than being internal, like for his own self gratification, they're all external. They're all, can I help this group of people? Can I save this guy's life from choking on a sausage or whatever? You know, it's very like uh, it's a very maximalist view of happiness. Yeah, it's right? like it's it, very utilitarian. How can I create the most happiness for the most people? Yeah. Um, and and it feels like he's making he's attempting to play a perfect game. Right. Yeah. And it's it's like if the world were to change tomorrow, where I actually did get to live February third. You know, mm-hmm. uh, how would I have done the most good? Right. Like, how would I have created the best world out of what I was given today to move forward into, you know, the the best tomorrow. Right. And so I think that's kind of where he ends up. Um, There's the big, you know, last day that he's in the time loop um, where he talks to Rita about, you know, what's going on. He informs her of his time loop again, yet again. She, Mm -hmm. of course, doesn't remember anything. Um, but he's like, yeah, we've, we've done this before. (laughs) We've, we've sat here in these same spots, had these same conversations. I've got you to believe me, I think. And, uh, doesn't matter every morning you wake up. So it seems though, as though really what he wants is in this immortality that he has found himself in himself in that he really just wants to spend time with Rita. Right. I mean, you see the, you see the hintings of this sort of early on because he's trying to chase after that first lady that he bangs and he calls her Rita, Rita. you know? And so there's this like little seed of his crush on her. And I think that, you know, he does a really great job. The film does a really great job of showing that as he moves on, he just, I think, you know, the saying of like you, you, the more you get to know people, Mm-hmm. Um, the more you like discover about them, the more you like hate them. Or <laughs> sure, is that a saying? No, that's no. just your personal <laughs> that's just experience. My experience. <laughs> but like the more he learns about her, I, maybe that's just how I feel about like how he sees the world, right? right. But the more he learns about her, the m- like he doesn't find anything he dislikes. Right. You right. know, he knows every single thing about every single person, and yeah. for whatever reason, the more he learns about her, the more he um, admires and appreciates just who she is as a person. Yeah. That yeah. maybe he didn't see at first because she he did consider her to be too right. Pollyanna. Well, I also think like if you're living for ten years in the same day and and like you said, get that experience with every single person, mm-hmm. you're gonna realize which people you want to spend more time with and which ones you don't. And if you spent that much time with her and it was always drawn back to like, I actually enjoy the conversations we have. I enjoy the time I spend with this person. That is a that's a much bigger thing than like you know, do I like the drink that she orders at the bar, which is like the earlier version of Phil trying to just get in her pants. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that by, by the time the last night occurs, he is, is trying to get Rita to stay awake and, and he knows when he closes his eyes, she's going to disappear, but he wakes up. The alarm clock is playing a different song, I think. 
or at least it has a different voice. It's playing the same, same song. Same song. Because I was confused. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got confused by this. I got, even though I haven't seen this film yeah. over and over again, it came on. I was like, oh, great. It's going to be a new song. Oh, no, it's not. It's a, it's, keep it it's, on going. The movie keeps going. The movie yeah. keeps going. Yeah. Really? I would have thought that was the end. Yeah. And so they, they got you with the okie doke. <laughs> so same song, but different voice right. uh, afterwards. And then she reaches over him to turn off the alarm. They had slept in the same bed, but had just fallen asleep. Right. They, they didn't fool around or anything. So that is the indication where he, he jumps up and he looks out and he's like, oh, it's it's the next, it's tomorrow. Today's tomorrow. Right. The the, the snow has fallen yeah. and has remained on the ground. And so and so what do you think breaks the loop? What is your theory for what breaks the loop? Um, my my theory has always been that like you were saying, he he lived a perfect day or pitched a perfect game or whatever you want to say. Like yeah. he he did the amount of good and did so sort of unselfishly with no expectation that it was going to result in personal gain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when he laid down next to her and she stayed there with him and he was just like, yep, this is nice. Just nice to be here and lay next to you. The universe clicked into place. So he spread the most happiness by all objective and subjective by universal measures that's right yeah yeah okay well then which begs the question what how do we how 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 do we measure happiness what is happiness uh i don't know yeah well so in this and so there are some criticisms of this uh, of this study that have been released which is uh you know again this like world happiness study they are basically just asking people to value their lives on a scale of zero to 10. And they're just saying like, how content, essentially like how contented are you with your life? And so it's contentment with your life, happiness. Mm-hmm. Would you say that it's happiness? I think that's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another. I think it's, it's, it's not the whole, right. It's a, it certainly is necessary. Right. But not... And, and so if we say that contentment with your life yeah. is happiness, then you have Finland at the top of the list consistently. And then also in the top five is, or I think in the top, I think in the top five is like all of the other Nordic countries right. as well. Um, and I, it's interesting because like regionally, the different markers of how you might consider happiness sort of hit different regions. So it's mm-hmm. almost like a cultural thing of sure. like how you view the question, how right. you answer the question in a way, if we're to ask the question instead, um, or if we were to focus instead on like, rather than on like satisfaction with life and instead focus on positive emotions that you feel or experience Latin America and countries in Latin America actually come out uh, at at, at the top. Yeah. Yeah. So countries like Paraguay and Guatemala then have the happiest, um, in 2013, uh, an, an article from 2013, we had a Gallup poll um, again, that was following positive emotions of 138 countries. And they had asked people questions such as what they experienced in their previous day of uh, lots of enjoyment, laughing or smiling a lot, mm-hmm. feeling well-rested, being treated with respect, and um, doing something that interested them. Okay. And so of the 10 countries in the world with the highest percentages experiencing these positive emotions, um, I think um, all but one of them was in Latin America. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I can dig that. I I think it's also like largely you know, access to those kinds of things, right? The ability to do those things. And then also I think the the theory is that it partly reflects their cultural tendency to focus on the positives in life. Okay, yeah. Right, so- You gotta accentuate (laughs) the positive. So 
so that would be one marker. Another marker that you could say rather than um, fo- focusing on positive emotions is just how meaningful does your life feel? Mm-hmm. And so if we are then using that as a metric, then there would be some African countries like Togo and Senegal that would have ranked higher um, based off of whether or not their citizens experienced uh, lives that were quote unquote meaningful. Huh. Okay. Now, I, I, I with- don't feel like any of our lives are meaningful just knowing the full <laughs> scope and span of the universe, but that's just me being realistic well, here. Well, so, okay. So what I was going to say is tied with that. However, is that the areas that do rank with like meaningful are also the ones that tend to have been like colonized with mm-hmm. Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. So, so there's that. So they've created me- meaning and then subscribe to it. And therefore right. it's, yeah. But I mean, it's not, it, your perception of the world is as your, being meaningful yeah. is your perception. It's not like a wrong perception. That's right. That's right. For you. Yeah, no, I get right? you. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's. So you're saying we should all create our own gods and then fulfill <laughs> the requirements of our gods to meet our own heaven. And that will give us happiness. Right. Cool. Love it. That's actually practical advice to take home with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, I guess the, 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 my, my takeaway from this is that different cultures are going to focus and value different things. They will interpret words and, and questions differently. They will interpret things that we consider to be important yeah. differently. And so it sort of depends on what we are marking. Yeah. I, I think there's probably a better way that we could do this. Like Get maybe, out the brain needles. I need those dopamine levels. I think what I would do if I were designing a test to measure the quote unquote happiness of, of a society is you have to take into consideration their culture. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's two rounds. It is the first round of questions is what does the culture what does the culture and the region consider the marker of happiness? What does happiness mean to you? And, and then, then the second round is how do you feel with these markers? That's right. And then the the evaluation and the the final score is how well do the people measure up to their markers of happiness, their their happiness metric. Yeah. And so that's my new life goal. <laughs> <laughs> is to find out those answers. Um right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's one article by Scientific American and they had a conclusion about sort of all of this. And I think that they had, they put it really well in terms of Finland, basically them, they're not the happiest country, right? Because happiness is, uh, if happiness is the absence of depression, like they have plenty of depression. Um, but if happiness is about quiet satisfaction with one's life conditions, then Finland, along with other Nordic countries might very well be the best places to live. Yeah. It's a, yeah, eh, that makes sense. Right. I, I can take that. <clears throat> well, I have a, a question for you. Yes. Not at all. Well, I guess kind of related to happiness. Mm. What version of immortality would you choose? Would you be happier going mm. through? Would you want the Groundhog Day, you know, Palm Springs version of immortality where you're reliving the same day over and over again for an indeterminate amount of time? Okay. Or do you want the Highlander? version of immortality where you experience new days, but the, all the people you care about are going to die eventually while you live on. Um, you can go to new places like France or England or Uruguay, but you're going to end up in a war at some point in time. And like, you know, and also there are other immortals chasing you around with swords trying to cut oh, your head okay, off. Okay. Like, the so I do have to battle. You do, Yeah. We're like in the old guard, right? You know, what's her face? Uh, Charlize Theron is like part of a, a immortals warrior team who's like trying to right the wrongs of the world or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, so what, what do you, what do you choose? Do you want Groundhog Day immortality or uh, Highlander immortality? 
the I think the second one. Yeah. I don't think I want the Groundhog Day one. That yeah. feels like a prison. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I agree. guess it could both feel like a prison eventually, yeah. but that one feels more acutely like a prison from the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the expectation is you can get out of it at some point, right? Like in in all of those stories, the time warp or time loop does end. It's just a matter of are you there for ten thousand years or not? Um, right, right. And so, I, I mean, I, I guess that could actually be pretty cool. Again, we talked about this. I would a hundred percent learn a like, a, assuming that um, mm-hmm. you're allowed to retain the muscle memory to learn a new instrument, instrument, yeah. um, which is still something I don't necessarily think would happen, but that's fine. Um, but like, assuming you could actually learn how to play a new instrument, I would learn all the instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would read all the books. I would learn all the languages. Yep. I would sit there and not help people on purpose. Yeah. So that I would not leave the time warp <laughs> until I had learned all of the things and yeah. then go back into the world yeah. as a god. Yeah. I mean, I just have like, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now of all the books I want to read, all the movies <laughs> I want to watch. Like, I, it's, it would be nice to have the time to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, now, granted, you also get it if you're immortal in the ways of like the Highlander and stuff. And then you can become rich by like ways of just investing money early and waiting around for a hundred years. Yeah. But you know what? Now that I think about it, the ability to just press pause, right? Because you, because to your point, you don't have to watch everybody that you love die as you stay the same age, like, you know, get older and die as you stay the same age. You just press pause and get all the skills and level up. And then you return as a God. This is what I'm saying. In your regular life. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Groundhog Day for sure. Okay, right on. Good to know. I, I still just, want to do Highlander stuff just because sword fights. No. Yes. I mean, I guess if you do Groundhog's Day first and then learn all the skills. <laughs> <laughs> Double immortality. Right, uh, right. Yeah, no. So, okay, just just a question. Um, so anyway, uh, just a very quick wrap up. I just wanted to mention this film was selected in 2006 for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. It's also been used in numerous religious uh, theological teachings, as well as uh, philosophical classes and courses. Uh, It is one of those movies that has an awful lot to say, but doesn't say it all. It gives you free reign to do the kinds of things that we just did with that question, right? Sure. What does uh, this look like in, in your perspective for your life? How do you internalize it? I, I, I love this movie. It's great. Uh, highly recommend. I'm sure everyone's seen it multiple times already, but if you haven't, by all means, please watch this movie like right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Highly recommend one of my top, top favorite movies. I don't know if, I think maybe I forget to put it on the list Sure. because it's just like assumed everybody's favorites. Right. Right. But Truly one of those ones that I could watch over and over again. Yep. I would say like this and Ghostbusters are my two favorite Bill Murray movies. Yeah. All right, cool. Is that going to do it for us this week? I think that wraps us up this week, unless you had anything else. No. I guess we're all finished then. no. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to say this earlier. There's a quote that is uh, aligned with the Finnish perspective, which is, uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And I don't remember who said it, but it's a it's a good one. I, I think about it all the time, which is like, yeah, it'd be nice to have all the things somebody else has. And as soon as you start to think that way, you lose your own happiness. So try not to compare yourself to other people. Well, here's one final finish quote. Yes. Um, I mean, paha atai jotain hivakin, uh-huh. which I think maybe sums up this podcast, uh, roughly translates to not so bad that there's nothing good in it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it translated to 
please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our newsletter on Substack. It is thecrosscut.substack.com. And uh, yeah, we, we thank you for listening to this episode. I am at the very end of this realizing we should have had my friend who is Finnish on as a guest. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, some other time. We'll <laughs> <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at The Crosscut. And on Instagram, we are at The Crosscut Pod. Please find us on your podcast players yep. and uh, have a great rest of your day. Right, bye, everybody. Bye.